As you know, if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, you know we've been in a, uh, a series on Wednesday nights going through the key figures of the Bible, the key figures of the Bible. And uh, for those of you that are just kind of joining us now, haven't been here uh, over a few Wednesdays, we're going to throw a little, uh, a little graphic on the screen right now just to kind of give you a picture of what we have been going through. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it uh, because we have spent a lot of time on it these last few weeks. But we started with Abraham. Uh, is where we started our series several weeks ago, and we worked through the period of the patriarchs. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, father, son, grandson, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then we got into, uh, into Joseph. Uh, uh, they got into Egypt. They were so blessed. Then they ended up uh, being enslaved because they were so blessed. They were multiplying so fast. The king of Egypt or the Pharaoh got so afraid, he, 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 uh, he made them slaves. And then Moses goes back in. This is the timeline here. Moses goes back in, brings the people out. They cross the Red Sea. They're out there in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. Joshua takes them into the promised land. They cross the Jordan River. They spend the next several years in this conquest of, of driving out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the cellulites and the termites and all the other ites that were there in the land. They push them all out. Conquest complete. Then they entered into a period of, of the judges, and then we moved into Israel's monarchy. You see, Israel didn't always have a king. You might have heard people talk about the king of Israel. That, that's not how it started. It didn't start with uh, a kingship or a monarchy, but that's where it eventually moves to, and Saul was the first king. David was the second king. Maybe you've heard of David and Goliath. David was the second king of Israel. David's son Solomon was the third king. And then we get into the division of the kingdom. And this is where we kind of were last week. The kingdom splits. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah. The, the northern kingdom is made up of ten tribes. The, the southern kingdom made up of only two tribes. But the southern kingdom was where Jerusalem was. And that was, that was David's uh, side of, of the kingdom. So the, the kingdom splits right there. And that's where, that's where we find ourselves in this period of the kings after the division of the kingdom. And last week we talked about the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah. Sixty years after the division of the kingdom, uh, a king by the name of King Ahab took over Israel. And him and his wife, Jezebel, uh, they were idol worshipers. And the worship of Baal comes in and really, uh, really begins to make its way throughout Israel. Sixty years, pretty much, uh, the people have been unfaithful to the command of, of God, unfaithful to the law of God. And, uh, and Elijah comes back in. And if you remember last week, man, Elijah came in with some fury. I mean, he came in upset uh, with some things that were going on. And, and maybe you remember he climbed Mount Carmel. And there he challenged the prophets of Baal, called down fire from heaven. And, and after that had 450 uh, 450 prophets of Baal, the prophets of, of Asherah, they, uh, they were all killed there. Uh, and, uh, and, and God did an amazing thing in the beginning of this process. And if you remember, uh, Elijah told the king, said, bring all of Israel here. Because I want all of Israel to see what's about to happen. And if you remember, that Israel cried out. They said, we believe. We believe there is a God in Israel. His name is Jehovah. And, uh, and so that's what happened there um, last week. And so this week we're going to move from the prophet Elijah and talk about the prophet Elisha. Elisha was uh, the predecessor of Elijah. And if you remember two weeks ago, Pastor Doug McAllister was our special guest here. 
And isn't it, it's, I just think sometimes, you know, God can just like, just blow you away. Uh, but he comes in two Wednesdays ago, and he preaches, the title of his message was All In. Of course, if you've been in our community for a few years, you know that we've done our All In campaigns. We've done two series named All In. Like, this is a, a theme around here of All In. And then he talks about the two, uh, the two Bible figures that were next in our key lineup. He didn't even know. I didn't even tell him that we were in these key figures of the Bible. I didn't tell him. I said, man, you just come and you just preach what God has put on your heart. And he comes in and preaches about Elijah and Elisha, knowing that those were the next two people uh, in our lineup. And so, man, whenever God starts doing things like that, you know, it just kind of gets your, gets your attention. But he talked about the exchange uh, of the mantle. So Elijah has been the prophet. Elijah has been the counselor for the king. Elijah has been the one calling fire down from heaven. He's been the one challenging the prophets of Baal. He has been the one carrying the torch and the word of God to the people of Israel. Elijah has been that spokesperson for God for all of these years. And now God speaks to Elijah and he says, you're getting down towards the end and I want you to go and I want you to anoint the next prophet of Israel, and that was Elisha, and, and Pastor Doug told that story. You can find the story in 1 Kings 19. Uh, Elisha, uh, Elijah goes to Elisha's house. Elisha is, is actually plowing the field, his father's field, and Elijah takes his mantle and tosses it on his shoulder. He jumps down off of the, uh, off of the oxen. He chases after Elijah, and he says, wait a minute, don't leave. Uh, let me just go uh, tell my parents, and I'm, I'm, and I'm coming with you. And not only that, he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. He, he burns the plow. He sacrificed the oxen. You know, sometimes you, you have to burn all the bridges in the past so you can't go back. You understand? I mean, he, he took his two oxen. He slaughtered them. There was no team of oxen to go back to. He burned up his plow. There was nothing for him to return to. If it didn't work out with Elijah, it wasn't like he could turn around and go back home and pick up where, where he left off. It was, it was burned up, and there was nothing that he could do. Do. And so, uh, so Elisha runs after Elijah and says, no, I'm coming with you. He goes back and he does that. And then he begins to serve what the Bible says. He begins to serve as Elijah's assistant. Scholars and historians say that it was approximately eight years that Elisha served as Elijah's servant or assistant. Elisha would go on and serve as the prophet of Israel for 60 years. Years, so he would span, uh, I think, four different kings uh, that served in in the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And according to Second Kings chapter ten, verse twenty-eight, it was during Elisha's ministry that the organized Baal worship was completely eradicated. It was during his ministry that the worship of Baal was completely eradicated. What began? under the ministry of Elijah, was carried out under the ministry of Elisha. You know, I've just discovered that that's what it takes for big dreams and big goals and big missions and big movements. Rarely can those things ever be accomplished in one generation. And I think whenever we look at the Word, we see that we serve a God who is generational because the work of God can't be done in one generation. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What I'm trying to do, it's going to take more 
multiple generations to accomplish. And so what was started with Elijah standing up against the prophets of Baal, standing up against the worship of idol, was not eradicated in Elijah's lifetime, but it was completely eradicated in Elisha's lifetime because he was carrying the mantle. You know, you got to have something to pass on to the next generation. You've got to have a cause to pass on to the next generation, a purpose to pass on to the next generation. You've got to have a fire on the inside of you that you can pass on to the next generation. And that's exactly what Elijah did for Elisha. He, he passed the baton, or in this case, he was passing the mantle. And tonight, I just want to focus on three storylines in Elisha's ministry uh, that, that we should all desire in our own personal lives. Three storylines uh, throughout Elisha's ministry. Here's the first storyline is, is humility. Humility. In 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, which is a pretty cool story, we'll read that in a moment, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. After eight years of serving the man of God, the man of God says, it's time for me to go over here. You can stay back. And Elisha says, no, absolutely not. I started this thing with you eight years ago. Don't you remember that I burned the plow? Don't you remember that I sacrificed the oxen? Don't you, don't you remember that I'm the one that ran after you? You didn't have to come put on a big show for me. You didn't have to come lay out a big business plan for me. You didn't have to tell me anything. You just tossed your mantle. You tossed your cloak on me. And something hit my life, and I've been serving you, walking with you for eight years, and I'm not about to turn back now, even if you tell me that it's okay. Going to go with you. Elisha stayed all the way to the end. Even when Elijah was urging him just to stay put, Elisha keeps on following. This is what I've discovered in life, is that integrity is often linked to humility. Integrity is often linked to humility. Integrity is doing the right thing. And people have said it about character integrity, that it's doing the right thing when no one is watching. But it is impossible for me to repeatedly do the right thing by you when I don't see you in the right way. It's impossible for me to treat you right repeatedly when I don't see you right. It's impossible for me to have the utmost integrity when I do not see you the way that I should see you. And we've defined humility here. Other people have defined it as this. It's, it's not thinking less of yourself. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. That, that's what it is really all about. And if I think that I'm more important than you, I mean, it makes sense when you break it down. If I think that I'm more important than you, 
if, if I think that I'm better than you, if I think that I'm more valuable than you, and if all I really care about is me, then how can I live with complete integrity? It's humility that makes it possible for me to live with real integrity. And that's why humility is so important. Because if humility is the key to me living with integrity, so humility is the key to me doing everything right. Why? Because I have to see myself in the right way. I've got to see God in the right way. I've got to see you in the right way because I can't do right by you and do right by myself whenever my vision is blurry and I'm not living in the utmost humility. So what we see here is that Elisha is going to go all the way to the end with Elijah. He is, go he is not going to quit. He is going to go all the way to the finish line. That is integrity. He is going to go all the way. There's nobody checking on him. There, there's no report. There's nothing like that. He's going to go all the way to the end. Why? Because he's a man of character. He's a man of integrity. And that integrity flows from this Humility. Elisha uh, followed Elijah even after these different invitations. Let, let's continue to read in, uh, in verse 7 in 2 Kings chapter 2. It says, uh, 50 men from the group of the prophets also went and watched him from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped by the Jordan River. When Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it, the river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request, but if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. When Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River, he struck the water with a Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. What an amazing story. I mean, let's just like time out. Like just stop right there. I mean, we're talking about chariot of fire coming down, whirlwind, scooped up, taken away. I mean, what an amazing, amazing story. And, you know, through this story, some people have given Elisha uh, a hard time uh, with his seemingly bold request, his request of saying, I want a double portion of your spirit. But, but I believe that he was not being arrogant and he was not being brash. I, I believe that his request was actually a request of humility. And, and the reason that Elijah said this is a difficult thing is because Elijah understood I can't give you what you ask for. Only God is going to be able to give you that. Here's what I believe Elisha was saying. I believe he was saying, I want to serve the people of God the way that you have served the people of God. I want to see the worship of idols come to an end 
the same way that you do. I want to speak wisdom to the kings with the same accuracy that you did. I want to be a part of miracles just like you were. And through the course of Elisha's life, he proved that he was not after prestige. He was only after purpose. He wasn't after being blessed. He was after giving a blessing. And I think when you look at the entirety of Elisha's life, you can see that his request was not made in arrogance. His request was made in humility because he wanted to serve the people of God and he wanted to serve the God of the people so well that he wanted a double portion of what Elijah had. I want to just be, I want to be the best servant I can be. I want to meet the needs of the people. I want a double portion of what you had, not for my glory, but for his glory. I want a double portion of what you had, not so that I can make my name famous, but so that we can eradicate, eradicate the worship of Baal and make God's name famous. I'm not in it for me. I'm in it for him. And in humility, I'm going to ask that you will give me a double portion of your spirit. You have to understand what Elijah asked. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I mean, you take that for what, what would you say? I mean, 10 pair of new shoes? You know what I mean? I, mean, I, I don't know. A, a brand new cloak? Little gold tassels on it? I mean, Elijah said, what, what do you want me to do? I mean, they walking around everywhere. A horse would have been good. You know I mean? I, you think of all the things that you could have asked for. That's not what Elisha asked for. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Why? Because I want to serve the people the best that I can serve them. And I believe this continues, and we see this humility, I believe, after the cloak falls there, and he picks up the, the cloak of Elijah, and he walks back over to the Jordan River, the same one that Elijah had just struck, and they had walked across, and he cried out there, and he said, where is the Lord, the God of my father Elijah? And he struck the water there. I don't believe that that was a cry of arrogance to, to prove who, who he was, or to prove his calling. I believe he was he was calling out to God, God, will you verify this thing? God, where are you here? God, are you really going to go with me? Is it really true? I know I saw him taken up. I know he told me that if I saw him taken up that I would get a double portion. But now I've got the cloak and God, I just need to know, is it really true that I'm going to be able to serve your people the way that I really want to? God, where are you? Are you with me in this moment? And he struck the water and I believe at that moment he knew that God was with him and he was going to be able to serve the people the way that he wanted to serve them out of humility it wasn't done in arrogance it was done with humility we we see this humility in Elisha here's the the second storyline that we see moving through Elisha's lifetime is is we see healing we see healing in second kings chapter 2 Verse 19, it says, one day the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my Lord, they told him. This town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water, and he threw salt into it, and he said, This is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death and infertility, and the water has remained pure 
ever since, just as Elisha said. What we see here in 2 Kings chapter 2 is that Elisha was a part of a miracle of healing this water. And there's a few things that I want to draw our attention to out of this out of this story, is that the, the people came and they said, we, we are in a town with, with pleasant surroundings. Everything really looks good on the outside. We, we've got a good vantage point. The, the, the city is set up in an amazing way. Everything looks good on the outside, but, but what is underneath the surface is bad. It looks really good on the top. But what is underneath the surface? What is in the spring? What is in the well? What is underneath the ground is bad. And so, therefore, our land is unfruitful. You know, this is a picture of life in many ways. Everything can appear good on the outside. But if, if what is under the surface isn't good, if my soul is not healthy, if my soul is not whole, if my soul is bad, then there is no way that I will be able to produce good and healthy fruit, and my life will struggle. Why? Not because the outside didn't look good, but because the inside was bad. It's interesting here in this, they say, hey, this, this whole conversation begins with, with this confession. Hey, Elisha, we got a problem. We got a problem. You know, you know, the most important thing you could ever do is say, I got a problem. I, I, I've got an issue. I, I've got a problem. I, I've got something wrong. There is something wrong with my soul. And here's the, 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 the important thing is that we have to see. We admit the problem so that we can avoid the defeat. Admitting the problem is not defeat. You have to see that. Admitting that you have a problem is not defeat. The, the, the real challenge is that if you don't admit the problem, you will experience defeat. If you don't admit, I've got an issue. If you don't admit, I have a problem. But we admit, hey, I've got a problem. I've got a problem in my soul. I've got a problem in my life. I've got a problem in my marriage. I've got a problem in my business. I've got a problem. Why do I admit the problem so I can avoid the defeat? I don't want to live defeated. So I admit the problem. They said, hey, we've got a problem, and this is our problem. Everything looks good on the top, but the water is bad. I want, to, I want you to see what Elisha, what Elisha didn't do. Elisha didn't just pray for the people that were sick because they drank the bad water. Elisha didn't just pray for the crops that had died that they would come back to life in that moment. No, Elisha went to the source of the trouble. Elisha went to the water. He went to the spring that supplied the town of their water. He went to what was underneath the surface. And isn't that the same place that God always wants to go? We want him just to fix the crop a little bit. We want him just to, to do this and to do that. But what God wants to do is he wants to get under the surface because he knows it's not enough to fix the surface. You've got to treat the source. You've got to get down into the soul so that you can make the changes necessary that need to really be made. Too many times we just, we want to fix the surface of our lives, but what needs the attention is our soul. Our soul is what needs the attention. Our soul is what needs the attention. 
not, not our surroundings, it's our, our soul, the, the source of our life. The source of, of our life is in our soul. The source of who you are, the source of your day, the source of your life, it is found in your soul. This is what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, that the Holy Spirit will produce in you. The Holy Spirit will produce in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Now, all of those things can be seen on the outside. Those things can be seen by your spouse, and they can be seen by your neighbor, and they can be seen by your small group. All of those things can be seen on the outside, but they didn't come from the outside. Those things came from the inside. They came because my soul was healthy, and because my soul was healthy, I was able to love, and I was able to have joy, and I was able to be kind, and I was able to have self-control control because I had a healthy soul. And whenever your attention just goes to the fruit and you don't pay attention to the soul, you can't produce the fruit that you need to produce on any type of last in any type of lasting way because it all comes from the soil. It comes from the soul. It comes from what is underneath the surface. Proverbs 4:23 says this. Guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, above everything else. These are the Proverbs that we live our lives by. Solomon, who apparently the wisest man in the world, according to Scripture, he says, above everything else. I mean, isn't there a lot of things? But he says, above everything else, you have to guard your heart because out of that will flow the issues of your life. Out of that place will determine the course of your life. I love the, uh, the good news translation. It says it this way, same verse, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life is shaped. Be careful how you think. What you see in these two translations is that the heart is so connected to the mind that some translators take it as your heart, some take it as your mind, because what they're really talking about is your soul, and your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Sometimes it gets so tied up in there that you're talking about your heart, but you're talking about your mind. In some place in the Bible, it says that your heart thinks. Well, how can my heart think? Because it's so connected that you can't really separate it. So he says you have to be careful what you think because your thoughts are directing the course of your life. You have to be so careful about what you let into your heart and what you let into your mind and what you think because it is determining the course of your life. It's shaping your life. So if your soul is not healthy, your thoughts aren't healthy. And if your thoughts aren't healthy, then there's no way your life can be healthy. Everything can look okay on the outside. You can live in a nice house and drive a nice car and have a good job and have three kids at home and you can have all of those things. But if your soul is not healthy, if your life isn't producing the fruit that you truly desire, then I would encourage you to check your soul. Because here's what I found in life. Your life can produce fruit in the middle of a storm your life can produce fruit in the middle of your desert. 
Your life can produce fruit anywhere when your soul is healthy. Don't you remember Paul and Silas were in jail? And they began to worship, right? They were worshiping in jail. They were singing praises to God. How can you be in that type of situation? And the thing that you're thinking about is not how are we going to get out of here, what's going on with the other guys. And No, no, no. They just say, hey, let's just have a moment of worship. Let's just have a praise party right now at midnight in the jail with the shackles on our hands and our feet. Let's just begin to worship. How do you do that? You've got a healthy soul. You've got a healthy soul. Your heart and your thoughts, they, they, they are shaping, they are, they are determining the course that your life is taking. So tonight, this is, this is what we have to know. If your soul is negative, if your soul is fearful, wounded, greedy, foolish, anxious, depressed, that will never produce a positive, generous, faithful, wise peaceful, and enthusiastic existence. It will never happen. You will never be better than your soul. The outcome of your life will never be better than your soul. That's why you can't just pay attention and say, well, everything's looking good on the outside. I've started going back to church, and now I go to church every other week, and, uh, man, things are going pretty good. Man, I've got a new job, and I'm starting to get some things together. You cannot look at the outside because if the inside is unhealthy, what's on the outside is not going to be there very long. Got to have a unhealthy soul on the inside. And when our, when our soul is strong, when our soul is whole, when our soul is complete, then you can begin to live life the way that you were created to live it. And that is from the inside out. When your soul is healthy, then you can begin to bring healing and blessing to others. And the fruit of your life isn't just so that you get to eat. The fruit of your life is so other people get to eat. The fruit of your life is so other people can be blessed. The fruit of your life is so other people can experience breakthrough. The fruit of your life is so that other people can experience the grace and the power and the presence of God. Why? Because I'm healthy and I'm living life from the inside out so I've got something to give my neighbor because I got a healthy soul got a healthy I've got a healthy soul and in the story we we see Elisha as he asked for a new bowl he asked for a new bowl with salt and the salt was symbolic the, the salt you have to know in the in the story that the salt was not the healing agent God was the one that healed the water God was the one God said I have purified this water I have healed it and, and in the Bible um, and and in the Old Testament New Testament in ancient times a salt was really a necessity of life uh, it was a, a, miner, a mineral that was used in many cultures it, it was used as a seasoning it was used as a preservative it was used as a disinfectant and it was also used by the people of God as a component of, of a ceremonial offering to God. And isn't it interesting that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to us, to his followers, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You, you are the salt of the earth. Here we see uh, Elisha taking the salt and sprinkling it into, uh, into the, the, the bad water. Now God is saying, you are the salt of 
of the earth. So if we just look at what salt was used for and the way that they would have seen it, they would have said, okay, salt is used for, for seasoning. And, and we are the seasoning of the world. Why? Because there are so many people that are so discouraged, they are so downcast, they are so depressed that you have the opportunity to be the seasoning in somebody's day because the people that walk into their existence are not going to season their life. They're going to be upset. They're going to be complaining. They're going to be griping. They're going to be negative. And you have the opportunity to encounter people and be the seasoning, the salt in their day by just being positive, by being uplifting, by sharing a word of faith. You just, you just have that opportunity to be the seasoning. But not only do you have that opportunity, you're also the preservative. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are preserving the Holy Spirit on the earth. You are the carrier of God on the earth. The Holy Spirit is living and dwelling on the inside of you. You are the one that is carrying the banner of the name of God. You are the one that is carrying the glory of God on the earth. You're also the disinfectant. You're also, why? Because there's so many people that are sick, there's so many people that are hurting. There are so many people that are alone. There are so many people that are filled up with all the bad stuff of the world, the way of thinking of the world, the hopelessness of the world. They are filled up, and you are the disinfectant. You are the salt of the earth, and you can come in and begin to help people disinfect their wounds. You are the salt of the earth. And then also, you're the ceremonial offering. You are the worship to God on the earth. You are the salt of the earth because you have an opportunity to lift your voice and to lift your hands and to lift up your life and to worship God each and every day. You are the salt of the earth. But, but just like in the story, when he took the salt into the spring and he, and he, he sprinkled it into into the spring to deal with the water, it was not the salt that did, that, that, that did the miracle. God did the miracle. And it's the same way with you. God says, you're the salt of the earth, but you need to understand, I'm going to use you the same way that Elisha did, but you're not going to be the one that brings the miracle, but I need to be able to bring the miracle through you. And if, and if, and if I don't have salt to sprinkle out, then there's not going to be any seasoning in Bossier City. There's not going to be any preservative in Bossier City. There's not going to be any worship in Bossier City. There's not going to be any disinfectant in Bossier City. So I've got to have some salt because I want to use you, but you you don't have to do anything because I'm going to do the miracle through you. See, it's a miracle of healing, and we see it throughout Elisha's life. So many miracles of healing as you read through the story. Let, let's, let's wrap up. Point number three this is the third storyline, and that's just being helpful. Being helpful. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Starting in verse 1, it says, One day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we are meeting is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told him, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. 
Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. I was just, I mean, like, an iron axe head is not supposed to float, people. I don't know. I mean, that's just not supposed to happen. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. The school of prophets was growing. And they came to Elisha and they said, man, you can see we are too big for this place. You know, there are certain problems that just come with growth. Certain problems that come with growth. There are certain problems that come with growth in your own life. Because when you start growing in your own life, you start learning that the way that you used to think about some things is not the way that you need to think about things. When you start growing in your own life, the way that you used to speak to people or speak about people, you realize, well, I can't speak to them like that, and I, I, can't, I can't speak about them like that anymore. Why? Because I'm growing. And, and there are certain problems and certain pain that just comes along with growth. And so he says, hey, look, we're, we're, we're growing, and we can't stay here. One of the problems of growth is that it, it just gets overcrowded. It gets uncomfortable. When it's overcrowded, it gets uncomfortable. And sometimes that's where we get in our, in our own life because we start growing, and then we start feeling cramped and trapped by who we used to be. And now it's not comfortable for me. I used to be able to watch that, but it's not comfortable for me anymore. Why? Because I'm growing, and because I'm growing now, I'm, I'm crowded, and it's not comfortable anymore. And so I've got to begin to move on to something else. And if you're going to, if we grow as a community, let me just tell you this, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to have your favorite seat in the sanctuary every Sunday whenever you begin to grow. Your parking spot out there is going to be taken sometimes. Why? Because as you begin to grow, there are pains and challenges with growth. Not just to mention they're on, on the, the uncomfortable side and not the overcrowded side. Now they got to build a new building. Now it's going to require more work because, man, now we got to move around this and move around that. And the time that we used to spend here, now we got to spend there. And we got to change all the roles. We got to change some things up. Man, it's just a lot of work whenever you start growing. It's challenging. Here they are, they're working down at the Jordan River, and man, they're chopping away. They're making progress, and then all of a sudden, man, chopping down the tree, and whoo, axe head all the way to the bottom, and he cries out, oh, sir, he said, I lost my axe head, and it was Borrowed. Here, here's what we, we have to understand today is that an axe head would have been very, very expensive. When you begin to research this, probably that none of these prophets were working with their own axe head because they would not have had the funds to purchase them. They were probably all working with borrowed axe heads because they, they, they would not have been able to afford them. And so the axe head has fallen into the water. Now, once that, if that has happened, if you lose my axe head back in the day, now you come work for me until you pay it off. Oh, sir, the axe head, it was borrowed. I love Elijah. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't stress out. Instead, he just immediately moves towards the solution. You know, so many times we, we, we often spend so much time on the problem and we don't move fast enough to the solution. We, we stir up the problem. 
We talk about the problem. We worry about the problem. We're afraid of the problem. But we don't move fast enough towards the solution. And if we do that in our own lives, then guess what? We do that when we're talking to other people. Other people come with their problems. Other people come with their issues. Other people come and they say, I lost my axe head. And what we do is we listen. And then we sympathize. And then we agree. And then we join into their pity party. And we jump on the complain train. And we start telling them, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably not going to turn out too well. And we join into the, into the problem, but we don't point them in the direction of the solution. He comes to the prophet and he says, I lost the axe head. And Elisha says, Where'd you lose it? He's moving on to the solution. He says, where did it fall? Now, this is a challenge. This is a challenge for me. Destiny's helped me with this in in my life because in moments like this, I would ask the wrong question. In moments like this, I would say, well, why did you lose it? Were, Were you being irresponsible? Were you being negligent? Was it, were you horse playing around with the person next to you? Were you in some foolish competition to see who could chop down the most trees and and the axe head flew off? Were you not taking the proper precautions that you learned in profit tree cutting down school? Were you you not applying what you know? Why did you lose that? It wasn't time to ask why. Sometimes we start asking the wrong questions and it holds up the process. We start asking the wrong questions. Well, why did this happen? Well, why is it? Why this is not a time for why? This is a time for where? Where is the axe head? And he says it was it was right here. And, and Elisha cuts a stick. Now, a lot of scholars believe that he was cutting the handle for the axe, and, and I think that's pretty cool. And and and. I personally like that. But he was cutting, he cut a stick and he was cutting a brand new handle for the axe and he threw it into the water and as he threw it into the water, then the axe head begins to float. The axe head is floating on the water and nobody's moving. Everybody's staring at the miracle. And Elisha is like, Hey, you fool, grab it. It might not stay there forever, you know. I think it's a great thing for all of us to realize that there are some miracles that are floating in our life that are close enough for you to grab, but you still got to grab it. There are breakthroughs in your life, they're floating. Well, you still have to grab it. I mean, I think Elijah was like, what? I mean, is that not good enough for you? Like, you want it to come up all the way out the water? Like, you, 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 you want it to just like, you know, I mean, what, what, what is going to be good? You're going to have to grab it. And it's like that with God sometimes. You know, sometimes we, we stand on the shore and we're praying and it's floating. And we're like, but God, look, God is so close right now. God, if you just bring it just a little bit more here toward God, I know, God, I can see it, God. I believe that that miracle is there for me. I believe that breakthrough is there for me. I believe it, God. If you just bring it a little bit more, I can see it, Lord. Let it come on up here to me. And God's looking at you like, will you reach down and grab it? I've brought it as far as I'm going to bring it. 
Now you are going to have to reach down and you are going to have to be the one that lays hold of it. It's just like salvation. Salvation is there for each and every one of us and it is just bobbing right there in the water but you don't get salvation just because it's there. You get salvation because you grab it. You get salvation because you reach out and you grab a hold of it and you pull it down into your heart. And so many miracles of God are the exact same way. And you have to reach out and grab it. And this is why it's so important that you reach out and grab it because there's other people in your life who are standing by and you are praying for them and other people are praying for them and there are miracles that are around them, but you are going to have to be the one that stands in the place like Elisha and you are going to say, now is the time for you to grab it. Now is the time for you to lay hold of it. Now is the time for you to move. Now is the time for you to step out. Now is the time for you to reach down. Now is the time for you to pick it up. Now is that time in your life. You got to reach out and grab it. The thing that I love about Elisha, I love this story because this story is just like, it's not a, not a big story in, in terms of the whole kingdom of Israel. I mean, you're talking about the man who who went and spoke to the king and he said, hey, here's the plans of the enemy. They're going to be coming around that mountain and here's what we got to do. We got to get in here and I've had this vision from God and you can read about it in the kings and he kept, giving, he kept giving the king wisdom and the king of Israel kept defeating his enemies over and over and over again. This is not that story. You, you can read about Naaman, the, the commander of the army of Aram and his leprosy and coming. And it's a strategic miracles, big miracles, strategic miracles, uh, national significant kind of miracles that Elisha was part of. This is none of those. This is a group of prophets chopping down a tree to build a bigger house for God. And the axe head fell in. One of those people who was committed to being a spokesperson for God, committed to the school of prophets, committed to being who God had called him to be, committed to getting the word of God out into the world. One of those people, they lost an axe head. That's what this story is about. Why is this story here? I believe God wanted you to understand he cared about the little things. And if he'll make an axe head float for this person, he'll make the axe head float in your life. He, he'll do the little thing. You say, well, it's not, it's, not, it's not significant to my life. It's not significant. It's just a little thing. Oh, that's it okay. Well, God, if, 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 you, if, you, if, you are, if you will believe for that, God will make that axe head float. Why? Because he wants, to, he wants you to know that I see you. I know where you are. I know what you're going through right now. And I can cause those things that have sunk in your life. Dreams that have sunk. The hopes that have sunk. The purposes that have sunk. Those things in your life that have 
sunk down to the bottom. I'm the God that brings them back to the top. But you got to reach out and grab it. You're going to have to reach out and lay hold of it. You're going to have to reach out and say, that's my accent. That's what I've lost, and now it's found. I want you to stand with me. I want you to bow your head just for a moment. what I believe God's instructing us to do tonight I, I believe that God is instructing us to reach out and grab some things to grab some things to grab all to grab a hold of some some promises that you've let sink in your life. Some guaranteed blessings that you've let sink in your life. Some dreams that you have let sink in your life. And let's be honest. You're a little discouraged. Let's be honest. You're a little afraid. Let's be honest. Maybe you're even embarrassed to bring it up. Maybe you've almost come to the place where you just have justified and say, well, I'll just live without that accent. I'll pay the cost. I'll pay the price. I'll do whatever. I just, that accent, it's gone. That calling, it's gone. That dream, it's gone. That relationship, it's gone. And I believe tonight that some of those things are floating back to the surface. Well, some of you have, have thought the marriage that you wanted is gone. The, the place that you wanted to feel, you, you wanted to feel a place for God. You, you wanted to do something for God, and here you are these years later, and you feel like that's gone. It's sunk. <laughs> I believe there's some things rising to the surface tonight. I believe there's some things rising to the surface. out and grab it tonight? Will you reach out and grab it? Will you reach out and grab it? Will you reach out and lay hold of it? Come on, will you pull it up out of the water tonight? Will you, will you pull it out 
of the past tonight? Will you you reach back and pull it out of your failure, pull it out of your defeat, pull it out of your discouragement, pull it it out of your disappointment? Will you reach back? Will you pull it out of your pain? Will you pull it out of your suffering? Will you reach it? Will you pull it out? It sank. It went all the way to the bottom. But tonight, it can float back to the top. Why? Because we serve the God of miracles. And when God wants it to float again, it's going to float again. And all you have to be faithful to is to reach down and pick it up again and say, God, that's my dream. It's my desire. God, that's my gifting. It's my calling. God, that's my marriage. God, that's my future. I'm taking it back again tonight for the glory of God. Come on, if you if you just feel tonight, man, there's something, there's something that's that's, that's floating back up. Come on, you 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 gotta you gotta be like Elisha. You gotta throw a little faith out there. Come on, he threw the stick out there. You gotta throw a little faith out there and say, God, I believe tonight. God, I believe. I believe. I believe you're the God that causes axe heads to flow. God, I believe that you are the God who breathes life into death. God, I I believe that you are the God who shines light into darkness. God, I believe that you are the God of the second chance, the third chance, and the tenth chance. God, I believe that you are that God. I believe that you are the restorer and the deliverer God I believe that you are the God of miracles and tonight I'm throwing a stick in the water and I believe 